Hello and welcome to the Beyond Biotech podcast number 45 and the podcast this week is sponsored by Quantum. Quantum Biosciences is a manufacturing technology company, part of Universel's group. Quantum brings radical innovation to the way mRNA is produced for any research lab, biotech, biopharma or CDMO. Quantum recently launched Intensify, a low-footprint automated production technology able to synthesize and purify mRNA in bulk, using reagent premixes to maximize yield, quality and cost-effectiveness, starting from a chosen DNA template. It was created with a singular purpose in mind, to simplify your daily life. If you want to know more, visit www.quantum.com. That's www.quantoom.com. I'm Jim Cornell from La Biotech, and it's another themed podcast for you this week. I know I've mentioned it before that May is the big month for awareness of diseases and conditions. There are almost 90 of them listed on labiotech.eu, and it's quite possible there are more. Some of them are very well known. Obviously, they are all important, but some of the lesser-known diseases don't always get a lot of publicity. So that's why I chose to do something around International MPS Awareness Day. And MPS is mucopolysaccharidosis, and it takes place on May the 15th, so that's next Monday. I had a great conversation with Dr. Matthew Ellenwood, Chief Scientific Officer at the National MPS Society in the US, about the disease, how it's treated, and the importance of awareness. It was another short week, and that was made even shorter by the fact I had a couple of days off as well, so I'm going to skip the news this week other than to say there was a special newsletter on gene and cell therapy that went out on Wednesday. Hopefully you were able to check that one out. And we're also not done with short weeks because there's another holiday in the UK at the end of the month. Then I think that's it for a while. We definitely don't spread them out very well. So let's get into this week's interview. According to the National MPS Society in the US, mucopolysaccharidosis and mucolipidosis are genetic lysosomal storage diseases caused by the body's inability to produce specific enzymes. I could simply read from the National MPS Society website about the disease, but far better to have someone very familiar with MPS to talk about it. And I was delighted to have the opportunity to chat with Dr. Matthew Ellenwood, Chief Scientific Officer at the National MPS Society, about the disease, how it's treated, and the importance of awareness. And of course, first, it's important to find out exactly what MPS is. So MPS stands for mucopolysaccharidosis. These are a group of lysosomal storage diseases. Uh, They're classified as inborn errors of metabolism. Effectively, they are caused by the recessive inherited loss of an enzyme that functions to degrade certain classes of molecules. Every cell in our body has this little what we call organelle. And in that organelle, which we call a lysosome, there is a bunch of recycling and uh, degrading processes going on. And this is all accomplished by enzymes. If you are missing one of those enzymes, you will store undegraded material in those lysosomes and it causes disease. 
So in the case of the MPS disorders, so MPS is an abbreviation for mucopolysaccharides, um, which is an old-fashioned term for glycosaminoglycans. These are basically carbohydrates that decorate the cell surface membrane, as well as proteins in the extracellular space. These carbohydrates are very important for connective tissue and also for cell signaling. Uh, and this translates also to the kind of disease we see, which is often central nervous system disease, brain disease. And when you think of what the brain does, it's basically a giant cell signaling switch box. And then also we see disease in connective tissue, uh, heart valves, bones, cartilage, these sorts of tissues. And that all goes back to the storage of these glycosaminoglycans in the lysosome uh, that is caused by an inherited loss of an enzyme deficiency. As I said, usually these are recessive. Of our 12 disorders, there is one actual uh, uh, X-linked disorder, but the rest are all autosomal recessive. And what are current treatments for the condition? So um, there has been a long history of treatment development for the MPS disorders. We have known since the 80s that certain forms can be treated with a bone marrow transplant. We now call those hematopoietic stem cell transplants because of changes in the technique. So for example, MPS1, uh, the serious form, also known as Hurler syndrome, We've been able to treat that with bone marrow transplants for many decades. The approach is that the donor cells will produce enzyme. That enzyme is secreted. And because of the way enzyme traffics inside the cell to the lysosome, there is a parallel process also that allows enzyme to traffic from the cell membrane into the lysosome. So we can exploit that process by supplying enzyme to the circulation. So the basis of a transplant is, uh, the therapeutic value is, enzyme is produced by the bone marrow cells, it's secreted into the extracellular space, and it gets to other cells in the body via circulation. And then it can be taken up by that parallel process to the intracellular trafficking that brings an enzyme from the plasma membrane into the lysosome. We call this process cross-correction, and this is the fundamental therapeutic approach towards treating diseases. We can also supply enzyme intravenously via recombinantly produced enzyme, and we have five FDA-approved enzyme treatments for five of our different disorders. Another approach is to use gene therapy, and that would involve delivering a gene therapy vector to target usually the liver or the central nervous system to become sort of an internal factory to produce enzyme that would then be secreted into the extracellular space, distributed via the circulatory system, and taken up by peripheral cells via cross-correction. So we have bone marrow transplantation, we have enzyme replacement therapy, we have gene therapy, and now quite excitingly, we have combined approaches where they will take a patient's own bone marrow, transduce it outside the body with a lentiviral vector, and then give it back to the patient. So that's an exceedingly exciting approach because it avoids graft versus host disease because you're getting your own marrow back. You don't have to worry about finding a donor. 
And uh, especially in certain communities, finding an HLA compatible donor, if you're a member of a poorly represented group within your country or within your area, that can be really tough to find a match. So no graft versus host, you get actually higher levels of enzyme because of the gene therapy approach. So it seems to be more effective. So we have gene therapy, combined gene therapy and bone marrow transplant or hematopoietic stem cell transplant, a straight ERT. And now we're also getting what I call a second generation of ERT. This will be enzyme that is designed to get into certain areas of the body that are generally restricted based on normal intravenous administration. So a lot of our diseases have brain pathology. Getting enzyme across what's called the blood-brain barrier is very difficult. So we ha now have the ability, or uh, companies, I should say, I'm speaking in the royal we, I didn't mean to, but there are companies out there that are developing enzymes that are tagged such that they will get actively transported across the blood-brain barrier. And that's really revolutionizing our approach. So there are two companies that are trialing these potential treatments for MPS 1 and 2, and I think 3A is coming on board. And some of them have even been approved in some countries. For example, there's a product produced by a company called JCR that's been approved for Hunter syndrome, MPS2 in Japan. So lots of exciting developments on the therapeutic front. But because it's a relatively rare condition, is it something that's difficult to diagnose? And does early diagnosis make a positive impact? Yes, diagnosis is very difficult. These are uh, rare and ultra-rare disorders. So there are 12 of them now. Uh, they are given a nomenclature that uses Roman numerals, some of which have dropped out because they have been merged into other disorders as we learned more. So there's MPS 1, 2, 3A, 3B, 3C, 3D, 4A and 4B. There's no five because that got merged to MPS1. MPS6, MPS7, MPS8 was a mistake and withdrawn from the literature. And then we have MPS9, an exceedingly rare condition hardly ever seen, as well as a recently identified MPS10. So when you get to the ultra rares, 7, uh, 9, and 10, those are very, very difficult to recognize just because clinicians are not going to have ever seen them. Even, however, among the more, what I'll say, common of our rare disorders, like MPS 1 and 2, these are seldom seen. So their incidence is about, in this country, we estimate one in approximately every to seven, uh, 70 to 75 births. And that's based on some pretty good data in uh, the United States based on newborn screening. So I think we think solid epidemiological data. So it, they're very rare, and it's very difficult for regular clinicians to identify these disorders. And often the diagnostic delay can take many years, sometimes nearly a decade or more. And we actually have anecdotal reports among members of our society whose children were diagnosed in their 20s because of the profound degenerative uh, quality of their disease that was initially identified simply as developmental delay. So it can be very tough to diagnose. And if you've diagnosed it and clinical signs have already set in, those signs won't be resolved by the treatments for the most part. 
So if you have very severe skeletal disease or very severe neurodevelopmental disease, neurodegenerative disease, those uh, aspects of the disease are not going to respond well to treatment. So early diagnosis is absolutely critical. And one of our best tools to accomplish this is public health-based newborn screening. And in the United States, we have a federalized process where conditions can be nominated to what's called the Recommended Uniform Screening Panel. We abbreviate that as the RUSP. There are now 37 conditions on the RUSP. There were 29 conditions that were grandfathered in, and over the last decade and a half, eight have been added. Two of those have been MPS conditions, MPS1 and MPS2. So that just is a recommendation at the U.S. federal level. It is up to every state to implement screening independently. So for MPS1, we have about 80% of the birth population in this country being screened now, uh, upwards of 34, 35 states. Uh, and we just got put on the RUSP uh, in August of 22 for uh, MPS2. And we have two states currently screening. We are very hopeful that that will roll out much faster. So ideally, you want to be getting treated as soon after birth as possible for the severe forms of these diseases. And there is even some interesting uh, clinical trials evaluating in utero enzyme replacement therapy for uh, what are called lysosomal storage diseases. I didn't talk about this, but MPSs are uh, one of a number of different inborn errors of metabolism that we call lysosomal storage diseases. I mentioned that lysosomes are where the substrates are stored. That's how they get their name. If you've ever heard of a disease called Tay-Sachs or Gaucher, those tend to be more well-known among the lay community or the non-clinical community. So there are over 50 different uh, disorders that you can call lysosomal storage diseases. And some of these do have ERT available, enzyme replacement therapy. And there is a really great clinical trial being conducted by Tippi McKenzie and her group at the University of California in San Francisco, where they're treating patients for eight of these disorders in utero. And based on the first patient that has been treated, born, and we have some data on uh, up to a year and a half, it basically eliminates the disease. And this was a case for a disease called Pompa, which is a very severe lysosomal storage disease. And in this particular family, there had been two uh, children who succumbed to their disease, I think within two years. And the, chil the child who was treated in utero really has no signs of disease. So early treatment is definitely going to be best and most practical to identify that by newborn screening and get treatment on board. Uh, but we, as I said, we only have two diseases that are currently being screened. We'd like to get as many of our diseases for which we have therapies to be screened. MPS Awareness Day is coming up. Is that an important thing to be recognizing and how do you utilize it? Sure. So this is a very exciting element for us right now. MPS Day is in its 20th anniversary. This was started at the National MPS Society. It is a recognized federal at the federal level. So resolutions go through both the House and the Senate recognizing uh, MPS Awareness Day. 
And uh, not long after we began it in the United States, it got picked up and became International uh, MPS Awareness Day. So within our society, we have five points uh, that are central to our recognition. We try to recognize and honor those patients in the past who succumbed to their disease and to offer remembrance of them uh, and to their families. We offer uh, support and gratitude to our clinicians and researchers who help develop treatments, to our current patients, to their caregivers, and to siblings. Most all of these disorders are diagnosed in the pediatric period, and many of them have incredibly intense requirements in terms of therapy and caregiving. And there's an impact on, on siblings. And so making sure that siblings have as uh, great and uplifting a childhood as possible is also central to our mission. So those are the areas we focus on in International NPS Awareness Day. And this year in particular, we're excited because we're hosting our annual gala in Tiburon, California at the Corinthian Yacht Club. That'll be uh, this Saturday, the 13th of May. And we use that as a, a time to celebrate our families, our researchers, our clinician, our stakeholders, and also to try and raise money for research funds dedicated to uh, making sure we develop treatments for all of our MPS disorders. We have five approved uh, FDA-approved treatments. We need more. Uh, the society develops research funds through donations from families and fundraisers uh, that supports nearly a million dollars of research, new research funds per year. This is both an important gala to celebrate MPS Awareness Day and to celebrate our families, uh, but also to raise funds for research. Is your organization involved in the research or do you just fund research? Uh, we do not get involved in research. We will partner with stakeholders to help identify important populations to participate in surveys. Uh, we have been involved in research, but really in an effort to acquire or uh, redirect samples. So for example, the MPS Society has staff, our president and CEO and our advocacy coordinator have been involved in getting newborn blood spots. Uh, these are the blood spots that are used for newborn screening. Some states will retain them, and we have helped to coordinate reconsenting of those blood spots by the parents to go to research. And what this does is it helps validate a test that can be used for newborn screening for new disorders. So we were very much involved at the society level in assisting with that for both MPS-1 and MPS2, and then there is a future publication to come out uh, on MPS3A through 3D and 4A and 6 and 7. So we help assist where we can in research, but we don't have any benchtop space here. You mentioned some of the research that's going on. Are there, is there a lot of research and a lot of clinical trials taking place right now? Oh my gosh, I lose track. Uh, so I think, for example, for MPS2, Hunter syndrome, uh, which is the X-linked disorder among our diseases, I think we have five interventional clinical trials that are going on now. And we also have some non-interventional trials looking at antibody responses to ERT, et cetera. 
It is a very rich uh, environment for clinical trials and also for basic research. We still don't know enough about the central nervous system pathology. It's not too inaccurate to describe the brain pathology in these young patients. Uh, and the hallmark condition for these uh, is San Filippo syndrome. This is almost exclusively a neurodevelopmental and neurodegenerative disease. And uh, in those patients, there's a lot we don't understand. It's complex. It's almost like having a patient with autism and Alzheimer's at the same time. And you can imagine managing a, a child with that disease would be very difficult. From a research perspective, we're just beginning to scratch the surface on our basic understanding of both those complex conditions. And you combine those in a child, it, it becomes more difficult. Uh, so there's a lot to learn about the basic pathophysiology uh, of these disorders, in addition to just finding treatments and identifying patients as early as possible. Are you hopeful for the people suffering the disease in, in terms of short and long term? I have never been more hopeful. Uh, I started in this field in 1998, and there were no therapies except for bone marrow transplant for MPS1. And now we have approved drug therapies for five of our conditions. And when I look upon the horizon, there are a number of exciting conditions. And furthermore, there are treatments that appear in the early phase one, two trial areas or spaces to be incredibly effective for MPS3A, for MPS1 in the serious uh, hurler form, for MPS2. And these are novel approaches. AAV therapy delivered directly into the central nervous system via the cerebrospinal fluid, a combined hematopoietic stem cell transplant with ex vivo lentiviral treatment new enzyme replacement therapies that exploit the transferrin receptor to get enzyme into the brain and across the blood-brain barrier, uh, novel AAV capsids to allow for an intravenous administration that will transduce the brain. It's just a very rich environment right now for therapies. Of course, it can't move quickly enough. Daily, my heart breaks for those families who have been diagnosed or their children are in the midst of disease and there is not yet a therapy. But hopefully in the future, uh, we'll have therapies that are effective for all of our community so that we can develop newborn screening and identify those patients before uh, the most serious elements of the disease takes hold. And looking further into the future, do you anticipate eventually being a cure or are we looking more towards sort of management of symptoms? Until we get to a point where there is a cure, and I think for some of these disorders, that may be pretty close. There will always be management, uh, as it were. I would have said in the past that a cure is an awfully high bar, but this new approach that's been demonstrated in Pampa involving in utero enzyme replacement therapy tells me that if we can get in early enough and we can prevent this pathology, we may be able to start using the cure word. And that is certainly what our mission at the society is. We are looking for a cure. Uh, we have three uh, legs on which our society rests, research for a cure, direct support for families, 
which involves all sorts of areas of direct uh, assistance and then advocacy for our families and for our community. So Cure is definitely on our mission and I'm hopeful that it's in sight. It may be distant for some of our disorders, but it's in sight. That's excellent news. All right. Well, thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate it and I hope you have a great uh, event in San Francisco at the weekend. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a great time and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing all of our families and all of our clinicians and uh, researchers who can attend. Really interesting interview there and it's great that the Awareness Day is making a difference and also that there is light at the end of the tunnel, let's hope. I should remind you that this podcast was sponsored by Quantum. Quantum Biosciences is a manufacturing technology company, part of Universel's group. Quantum brings radical innovation to the way mRNA is produced for any research lab, biotech, biopharma, or CDMO. Quantum recently launched Intensify, a low-footprint automated production technology able to synthesize and purify mRNA in bulk using reagent premixes to maximize yield, quality, and cost-effectiveness, starting from a chosen DNA template. It was created with a singular purpose in mind, to simplify your daily life. If you want to know more, visit www.quantum.com. That's www.quantoom.com. So that's it for podcast number 45. There are a few options for podcast 46, which means you'll just have to listen. You can subscribe to the podcast through all kinds of platforms like Spotify, Apple and Google so that you don't miss an episode. Anyway, thanks a lot for joining us and I hope wherever in the world you are, you have a great week ahead. Take care and join us next week for another Beyond Biotech.